two readings this morning, both from the book of Matthew. Matthew 5. You have heard the law that says, a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written code of divorce. But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. And then Matthew chapter 19. Some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus replied? They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two, but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Then why did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written note of divorce and send her away, they asked. Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts, but it is not what God had originally intended. And I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery, unless his wife has been unfaithful. Jesus' disciples then said to him, If this is the case, it is better not to marry. Not everyone can accept this statement, Jesus said. Only those whom God helps. Some are born as eunuchs. Some have been made eunuchs by others. And some choose not to marry for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let anyone accept this who can. Thank you, Meryl. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we um, come as we study your word uh, we don't skip the bits which are uncomfortable or awkward, and we know there are parts in there which we find challenging uh, because of past hurts, past situations, and even the future and the present. Lord, as I speak today, let it be your word that we hear, not my opinion. And Lord, I pray that um, you, bring, you bring your love and healing and acknowledgement that you are always here for each one of us in whatever situation we face. In the power of Jesus' name, amen. So today we look at just two verses from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, but two that approach the very sensitive topic of divorce. And we want to listen to what God has to say about the topic. So we've also read Matthew 19, where Jesus, Jesus explains clearly God's position on the matter. And I'd also like to look at two other scriptures from the Old Testament, one which is central to the Pharisees' question and will give us greater understanding about the issue in Jesus' time which may not be too different to the issue within our own society. So Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 to 4, but I'm just really going to go no further than verse 1 uh, when I look at this. Uh, this is a key scripture, and we'll explore a misreading that the Jewish leaders of the law promoted in Jesus' time, and possibly is still there today. Let me just read verse 1 for you. Suppose a man marries a woman, but she does not please him. Having discovered something wrong with her, he writes a document of divorce, hands it to her, and sends her away from his house. 
And you might want to reflect and look uh, beyond just verse 1, verses 1 to 4 later on. Exodus 21 is the other, is the other um, reading. And it's a useful scripture that may help us to answer some of the complicated situations some people may face in a relationship. And it outlines some very natural but important elements that should be part of any marital relationship. Verses 10 to 11. If a man who has married a slave wife takes another wife for himself, he must not neglect the rights of the first wife to food, clothing, sexual intimacy. If he fails in any of these three obligations, she may leave as a free woman without making any payment. Okay, interesting to look at that later on. As we look closely at the scriptures, note this. God neither commands or condones divorce. There is simply the recognition of it as a reality in our fallen and broken world. And I want to start uh, this message with my concluding points, so you know where I'm going with the message. Then I want to dig into the scriptures a little bit, drawing a, draw an intriguing link to what most would consider the climatic central lesson in the Sermon on the Mount, and then to remind you of the concluding points again. So here are four things I hope you'll be able to reflect upon as we go through the scriptures for today, whether you're single, married, divorced, or widowed. First of all, we are called to be ambassadors for Christ under all circumstances. No matter about our past, our present situation, we are called to be ambassadors of Christ. Uh, let your light shine for the world to see our Lord Jesus Christ. Second, we must take care to interpret and teach the word of God. Boy, the, uh, for Alistair and myself, that's a huge accountability responsibility. But for all of us, as we go through the scriptures, we need to dig deeper and just understand some of those phrases which might help, not help us to understand the full meaning in one Bible uh, uh, version. Uh, and it's good if you're reading not just the NLT, not just the NIB, but looking at the other versions of the Bible to try and understand it further. Third, we should recognise the sacredness of marriage and what marriage symbolises in the Christian world and in God's eyes. Fourth, know that God is always there for you under all circumstances. You are the apple of God's eye. You are central in his love. We live in a messy, mixed-up world. Divorce is a result of living in a sinful world and it can be an outcome even for those who do not desire it. As I've already mentioned, God neither commands or condones divorce. There's simply the recognition of it as a reality in our fallen and broken world. And Jesus reminds us about some of the initial plan, the original plan God had uh, in Matthew 19. He says it was not what God had originally intended. He um, explains that from the beginning, God had something much greater in plan, and then we fall to sin. And he explains marriage a little bit further by saying, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. And so he goes back to Scripture, and we'll look again uh, later at the uh, issue that the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, had taken Scripture and changed it. 
second thing there to remind you again. If you find yourself or have been in the situation of a divorce, whether in the position of blame or the grievance is done to you, remember this, God is not about to let you go. Romans 8.28 reminds us of God's love. It says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. The phrase causing everything doesn't mean that God meant for you to go through heartache and hurt from whatever situation you received it, but it does mean that God can take any event or element from your life and turn it into something of use. Let's look at the Old Testament scripture that is central around the question of divorce, Deuteronomy 24. The text is the central one the Pharisees also considered, but they decided to interpret it in a way that led to an interpretation for a divorce of convenience, rather than the correct interpretation that Jesus gives us. Again, I read verse 1, Suppose a man marries a woman, but she does not please him. Having discovered something wrong with her, he writes a divorce, a document of divorce, hands it to her, and sends her away from the house. The issue of misinterpretation was around the two words, uvat uh, devar, matter of immorality. Uh, here in the NLT it says, um, discovered something wrong with her. That seems quite general. The phrase means adultery and some other forms of sexual immorality that would come under the umbrella of adultery as a basis of divorce. Now we might ask, wouldn't it have been easier just to use the word adultery? Why a phrase that suggests some other immorality? Well, one reason might be is this. Scripture tells us that adultery was punishable by death. We read that in the Old Testament. Uh, a month ago, we read the passage where the Pharisees brought a woman they said had been caught in adultery and wanted to see if Jesus would condemn her to be stoned. And we recognise that the Pharisees were breaking laws by accusing her without having at least two witnesses present. And it's probably fairly difficult to find two witnesses to such a situation, or at least two witnesses who are willing to testify. So since there are sometimes other consequences to adultery, giving a certificate of divorce might be the vehicle in this circumstance. Uh, a a well-known example of where this was going to happen, but didn't in the Bible, uh, was one which the Pharisees probably really took great delight in when confronting Jesus about the issue. And it was around his own birth. His human father, Joseph, who was described as a righteous man in the Bible, was going to quietly divorce Mary in their engagement when he discovered she was pregnant. Until through divine revelation and an angel declaring to Joseph of her purity. Uh, so there Jesus even knows about that challenge um, from even from his birth. Um, so he has gone through each element that we have gone through. The phrase uvat devar also suggests other sexual moralities that were severe and broke the marriage covenant. Uh, for example, prostitution or incest could be considered two such immoralities that would fall under the umbrella of adultery. The problem with the Jewish leaders is that by the first century AD, they had already found a convenient way to translate this term to allow them to abide by the law at their convenience. That's why when Jesus says, you have heard it said, or you have heard the law that says, or you have heard the law from the ancients, he's talking about man's law rather than God's law given to Moses. We discovered that earlier in the series when Jesus approached the issue of anger. 
the teachers of the law had decided to put a gap between these two words so as to make a new clause which became known as the any clause. You could divorce your spouse because of adultery or you could divorce your spouse for any other thing that you felt like. And uh, in this I've done some research uh, from different commentaries and, uh, and researchers. This uh, little bit here is from Dr. David Instone Brewer from the Tyndale House. Um, and you can see how even in that light, some Bible translations, are simply, which are simply trying to translate the term the best they can, may also sound much the same. First of all here, um, this is from uh, the, the Evat Davar. You can see that just where it means any clause. Here are some uh, versions of Bibles where they write it. The NLT, which we read from today, keeps it to the one clause, but still sounds very general. Having discovered something wrong, that's just one thing, but it sounds very general. Just trying to uh, translate the word as much as I can. The, um, when it says that, uh, something wrong with her, it, sound, it could be interpreted as saying, well, uh, she put a hole in my best shirt, or he burnt my supper. Okay? Uh, that's not what they want to translate it as. The uh, Orthodox Jewish Bible uh, keeps the term as one, that's where they use it, Evat Devar, the matter of morality, uh, because he hath found some Evat Devar in her. But you can see the other two translations demonstrate the extra idea other than just adultery alone, but the one, one that corresponds to adultery. So the Wycliffe Bible, uh, she findeth, uh, and she findeth not grace before his eyes for some vileness or uncleanliness. So it looks like there's two things, but it is under the one umbrella, or the amplified version, uh, that she loses his favour because he has found something indecent or unacceptable about her. Again, not trying to um, do anything, but again, it comes under the one clause. But you can see how it could be misinterpreted. So this is why the Pharisees asked in Matthew 19 uh, to Jesus, can you get a divorce for just any reason? Because that is how human law had misinterpreted God's scriptures. And Jesus then draws them away from their own man-made interpretation of God's law and brings them straight back to the scriptures. And he points out that God never intended for the act of divorce to ever be required. God made humanity as male and female and to join them in a unity, one man and one woman, that would last a lifetime. It's because of our hardened hearts, Jesus says, our stubbornness towards each other even, not just towards God, but towards each other, um, which he describes uh, as the issue. And we see that hardness of hearts, the stubbornness, right back into the Genesis chapter 3, where the fall of man and, and Adam and Eve started blaming each other. Marriage is a God created covenant, not something that humanity should consider can be altered to suit society's flims and fancies. It is sacred to God because it is one way that we can demonstrate the relationship between mankind and God. God uses the imagery of marriage when he speaks of his relationship with the Jewish nation, both his loyalty to look after her, and he uses the imagery of marriage to talk about Israel's unfaithfulness to him by how the nation acts immorally towards God and runs off to worship the idols of other nations. God also created the marriage covenant to symbolize the relationship between Christ and the church. The image of Christ 
being the groom and the church being the bride speaks of the cosmic truth of God finding a way to save us and to bring us into his family. Jesus tends to his bride, the church, you and me, by responding just as the law speaks of how a husband should treat a wife and vice versa. And so here is where we jump back into this messy, mixed-up world and ask those tricky questions like, what if a husband or wife is not physically, emotionally safe with her spouse, with their spouse? And we know that there are situations where this is the case, and if they were to remain in the same house, then they would eventually be murdered. Sadly, we keep hearing of such stories more frequently and fairly recently in the news. Does God command, God's commands give any answer to such situations? God does not command or condone divorce, but he also cares for you. His beloved creation more than anything. And so he gives some instructions to ensure the protection of those who are most vulnerable in society. And in doing so, God's word names the natural, basic expectations a married couple should demonstrate to one another even in the tensions and conflicts of relationships. In Exodus 21, we are given some laws to ensure the protection of, in this case, slaves. Again, God's word does not promote, command, or condone slavery as something that is acceptable, but it acknowledges that it is present in a fallen world, and so God gives instructions in the hope that society will protect the slaves in society, or the women in society or the elderly, or the child. Exodus 21, verses 10 to 11. Let me read it one more time for you. If a man who has married a slave wife takes another wife for himself, he must not neglect the rights of the first wife to food, clothing, sexual intimacy. If he fails in any of these three obligations, she may leave as a free woman without making any payment. A wife has a right to receive food, clothing, the necessities of life, and to always be loved. You are not to neglect these rights for your spouse, husband or wife. And if you do so, then you are breaking the marriage covenant right there. Again, in this messy, mixed-up world, physical or emotional abuse to a spouse is a most severe form of neglect. And Exodus 21 aims to ensure that the precious life of any human being is never at risk in any relationship. The instruction is there to make us never forget our role and responsibility to one another. And this responsibility is not just one way, it is meant to be reciprocated between husband and wife. And we could apply the responsibilities in these verses to other areas of our lives, how we treat our employees, those in need in our community, or our brothers and sisters in Christ. When we do so, we begin to imitate the relationship God would like with each of his creations. And we make Jesus known to a world that has walked away from this relationship. The Sermon on the Mount comes to a climax at the beginning of chapter 6 in what we call the Lord's Prayer. We've sung that today. And just as Exodus 21 speaks of the loving response that there should always be between husband and his wife, so too does this prayer remind us of how God provides our needs because he loves us. And we, in our gratitude, return an offering to him to show our love to him. And this understanding of a relationship you can have with God, whatever your marital status is, 
is shown in the Lord's Prayer. Let me go through it with you. You know it, but um, let me read through it. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. That's like a husband or a wife is to reciprocate the marriage vow shown by the other. And so when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we go, Lord, hallowed be your name. May other people bless you too for the love that you've shown to us. And then it carries on by saying, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let no man separate what God has joined. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. We're asking provide the necessities uh, for us, but we also are reminded to provide the necessities for our spouse, for one another. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from evil. So we're reminded, don't allow negligence to pull your spouse away from the marriage covenant, to put a barrier between the relationships we have, whether it's marriage or employee or in the community. And then we're reminded at the end of the Lord's Prayer, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And that's again like us reciprocating God's love back to him. Lord, may people worship you. So where is God in all of this? First, God neither commands or condones divorce, but he recognises it in our fallen state, far from what he intended. Divorce is a result of a sinful world, and sadly there are times when it cannot be avoided because of the hardened hearts of people towards their closest loved ones and towards God. God created the marriage covenant so that we could symbolically show in our relationships with one another the relationship God desires with each of us and between Christ and the church. We have a crucial job of showing the rest of the world who Jesus is by how we respond to God. And therefore, whether you are single, married, divorced, or a widow, we are called as one to be ambassadors for God. And remember, God will not forsake you. No matter what your circumstances are, he will provide the necessities in our relationship, the things that Jesus taught us to ask for in the Lord's Prayer. You are the apple of his eye. Let's pray. Lord God, as we go through your word, we want to be challenged at times. In fact, uh, if we don't find your word challenging, then we need to read it deeper. Today, Lord, we've read a really tricky part for this society, for some individuals. And Lord, I pray for your Holy Spirit to guide us, to remind us of those truths of your love for us. Lord, I pray too that any uh, words spoken today, uh, that you would just uh, place your hand upon them, that you would guide us and teach us further in understanding uh, your great plan for each one. Lord, I pray for those who are single in our community, in this church community. Thank you that um, they have this opportunity of a relationship with you which isn't distracted by anything else. And I pray, Lord, that they would use that, that status to grow deeper into your love and to reveal things which sometimes in busyness of married life or other things uh, we neglect. Lord, I pray 
for marriages right here. I thank you for those who are looking towards getting married uh, this year. And I thank you, Lord, for those who have been able to remain in a marriage for a long time. Help us to demonstrate through the love for one another your love to this world. And I pray for those who are divorced or widowed. Lord, again, wrap your arms around them. Let them know that you are always there. And let us as a church love one another, not just in word, but actually in action. Let us have a discernment to see when someone has a need, not just to ask what they need, but to actually respond because we can see it through your spirit. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.